time. This afternoon, uh, we're talking still in the 42nd chapter. You remember I told you we, these are the servant songs. And this song, though, it seems as though it rotates of just what servant they're talking about. It seems as though they're talking about Jesus Christ as the servant uh, in the beginning of that uh, prophecy. But it seems though it shifts. It shifts about the sixth verse. It says, I the Lord have called thee in righteousness and give thee for a covenant of the people for a light unto the Gentiles, which to open the blind eyes to bring out the prisoners from the prison and them that sit in darkness out of the prison house. I am the Lord that is my name and my glory will I not give to another neither my uh, praise to graven images. Behold the former things are come to pass and new things do I declare before they spring forth. I tell you uh, it says sing unto the Lord a new song and his praise from the end of the earth, ye that go down to the sea and all that is therein, the isles and the inhabitants thereof, let the wilderness and the cities thereof lift up their voices, and the villages that Kedar doeth inhabit, let the inhabitants of the rocks sing, let them shout for the top of the mountains, let them give glory unto the Lord and declare his praise in all the islands. They shall go forth as a mighty man. He shall stir up jealousy like a man of war. He shall cry, yea, he shall roar. He shall prevail against his enemies. I have long time beholding my peace. I have been still and refrained myself. Now I will cry like a travailing woman. I will destroy and devour at once. I will make waste mountains and hills and dry up all of their herbs. And I will make the rivers islands, and I will dry up the pools. I will bring the blind by a way that they knew not. I will lead them in paths that they have not known. I will make darkness light before them, and crooked things straight. These things I will do unto them, and not forsake them. They shall turn back, and they shall be greatly ashamed, that trust in graven images that say to Mold and images, you are our gods. Yea, hear ye deaf and look ye blind that you may see. Okay, a lot of that seems to do is applicable to the Messiah or the Messianic servant of the Lord and some of the things that judgment that he's doing. And the, the people, though, with that last verse there about uh, they shall be turned back. They shall be greatly ashamed that trust engraven images that say to molden images, ye are our gods. Hear ye deaf and look ye blind that you may see. Sounds like he's talking to Israel uh, could be applicable to those in the church today that's gone off into apostasy or that are following the wrong way. Even though this is the servant song about the servant but seems as though he switched now in talking about rebellious servants, re- those that are rebellion are in rebellion against them. Because let me continue on here, the 19th verse. You say, "Who is blind but my servant, a deaf as my messenger that I sent?" 
I don't think Jesus was blind or deaf. Uh, I, I don't. I don't understand how it's used. Yeah, I, I still have to read on further, and I'm still researching this more. And scholars and different commentaries look at it as to who is applicable here. And a lot of people saying it's Israel, but it also could be uh, applicable to servants during this time that. Like Demas went astray of those that served the Lord that were with Paul that have forsaken him. And you remember yesterday as I was preaching, he said, they were of us, but they went out from us. And if they was of us, they'd have continued with us. He said, who is blind but my servant, or deaf as my messengers that I sent? Who is blind? He that is perfect, he that is perfect, and blind as the Lord's servant. Seeing many things, but thou observe it not, opening the ears, but he hear it not. The Lord is well pleased for his righteousness sake. He will magnify the law and make it honorable. But this is a people robbed and spoiled. They are all of them snared in holes. They are hid in prison houses. They are for a prey. None deliberate for spoil, and none saith restore. Who among you will give ear to this? Who will hearken and hear for the time to come? Who gave Jacob for spoil and Israel to the robbers? Did not the Lord, he against whom we have sinned? It seems as though he's talking about Israel, and we know a lot of times when he referred to Israel or the children of Israel as Jacob, that's their disobedient ones before he changed his name to Israel. And he says, who gave Jacob for a spoil and Israel to the robbers? Did not the Lord He against whom we have sinned? For they would not walk in his ways, neither were they obedient unto his laws. Therefore he had poured up on him the fury of his anger and the strength of battle, and it had set him on fire round about, yet he knew not, and it burned him. Yet he laid it not to heart. It seems as though these are the rebellious among the children of the servants of God or whatever who had not stuck to what I was saying. When conversion comes or when we give ourselves to Lord to the Lord, there are obligations of responsibilities as bond servants of Jesus Christ or bond servants of the Lord. There are things we can't do with our body. There are things we can't say. Uh, there are certain things, character that describe the children of God. And we see when David went astray, he said, well, you blaspheme in the name of God. Yet he was a servant of God, but God had to punish him. There were consequences for his disobedience. He didn't obey the Lord in that he had killed Uriah with the sword. He had killed Urari, committed adultery, so he was a disobedient servant. And we have a responsibility. That's why Paul called himself a bond servant, a slave to Jesus Christ. We are, we are slaves of righteousness. I was preaching out of Romans yesterday about yielding yourselves unto righteousness, and that you are a slave of whom you yield yourselves servants unto. If you serve sin, you are a servant of sin. But Jesus Christ had died to set us free, to set us at liberty in him. So, slaves of righteousness. John, the 15th chapter, 
13th through the 15th verse says, Greater love had no man than this, that a man lay down his life for his friends. Ye are my friends, if you do whatever whatsoever I command you. Henceforth I call you not servants, but for the, for the servant knoweth not what his Lord doeth, but I have called you friends for all things that I have heard of my Father I have made known unto you. Now here he's trying to show a fellowship or relationship, even that that's closer than a servant. We know the servant-master relationship where the master is not accountable for, to the servant in that he don't have to discuss what he's doing or his plans with his servants or whatever. But the closeness of him and Abraham we see, and when he says, well, Abraham was a friend of God, so when he came down to destroy Sodom and Gomorrah, he says, since Abraham's going to be inheritor of these nations and what Abraham's going to do, shouldn't I show him or tell him what I'm about to do? So God, through his word, he has shown us in his word what he's about to bring up on the earth. That's what we should be advocating to help glorify him that he had declared everything that has happened as of old, but now he's about to do new things. That's why when I go to talking about the destruction of the nation and different homes or families or different things, these are some of the new things that he brought about because he ha- we have a closeness unto him And it says, at the revelation of Jesus Christ. That's why I say all of us need to get in communion with God and pray to God to where he's able to commune through his word things that he's doing or about to do that we develop a certain discernment, a certain path that we walk in. And he says, we're going by the narrow way But if it's true that his spirit is guided and leading us, it's more than a premonition. It's learning to walk with the Lord, walk in ways of obedience that you wouldn't be caught by the snares and the judgments and the things that are coming up on the people that are up on the earth. That he should be talking to us individually. We should be to where we have a conversation with God in the morning and throughout the day. And that's why he says praying always. So the conversation you're making, your husband or wife or the pastor or other people, your idols or someone, if you have a relationship with them, asking them for directions or whatever, not seeking directions from the Lord. You're asking your doctor, so seek the Lord first. That's the first one you seek. Ask him what to do. So he's the one that's directed because... That's your master. He said, why call me Lord and master and do not what I say? You call me Lord, Lord, but you don't do what I tell you to do. John 15 and 13 presents us with an interesting and exciting expansion of our place within that relationship. So we're different from Israel. We're different from all of the rest, except for like maybe Moses and Abraham, who had an intimate relationship with God. But now we have the scriptures plus the fact that he said he will dwell with us and in us. Him and the Father would be in us and dine with us. He would sup with us. He would never leave us and forsake us. 
So we shouldn't get our lives so discombobulated in sin and walking in darkness that we can't hear God's voice, that it's sin and iniquity that separates you from God. Darkness and the things that you do separate you from God. Redemption at first glance elevates us from being a slave of unrighteousness and to Satan and being a slave unto righteousness unto Jesus Christ as we had said yesterday in the book of Romans that you're and I and I keep telling you read the book Bondage of the Will by Martin Luther. There's no such thing as free will. You're either in bondage to the devil or you're in bondage to God. There's no free will. Either you're working for the devil or you're working for God. There's no in-between. He said, Jesus said, either you're for me or against me. There's no middle road. It's no middle road. So he says, yield yourselves or your members unto righteousness for righteousness sake. That's the choice you make each day, all through the day, whether you yielding yourself unto God in dying to self, because there's many of things that you want to do that you can't do because your body don't belong to you. So I have to go by the word of God. I have to go, and hopefully I have the spirit of God. That's why he say you must be born again. So you have to have that spirit to guide you and lead you in all truth because they that are the sons of God are led by the spirit of God. Okay? Christ elevates our calling to uh, intimate friendship since we will be co-heirs in that Peter, James, and Peter and James and John had a closer. You notice that he took them to the Mount of Transfiguration, and it was seen as though that was seen like almost an inner circle. There's always friends that are closer than other friends to you. Sometime it was Joseph with Jacob. Uh, it was sometime it was uh, it was Jacob with Rebecca. Sometime a child gets closer than the rest of the children to a particular parent. Not that it's a favoritism of one child to another over another, but that child, for some way or reason or another, he has a different relationship with that parent than the other. That's the same thing with God. You remember a lot was placed in the hands of Peter and was said to Peter. But what do we say in our doxology? Jesus has no favoritism. There are no stepchildren and grandchildren. We are all brothers and sisters. There's no male or female. But when he was talking to Peter, he was talking to them all. When he says Satan has a desire to shift, sift thee like wheat, he was talking to them all. And we repeat this in our doxology every time we close. What I say to one, I say to all. What I say to one, I say to all. What God's saying to one, there's no partiality with God. He's saying the same thing with all of us. So he loves us with that same love that he loved Jesus with. With that same love. In ancient Rome, the friends of Caesar and different ones, just like here, just like at all times, you have a closer inner circle or whatever, and Jesus has called us friends. 
So there's things that he's going to reveal unto us. That's why people that mostly have a stronger prayer life, they have a more intimate walk of intimate closeness with God. They have a deeper assurance of confidence in the, in, in the world and in themselves and everything around them. That's why John said we receive the request that we ask of him because we keep his commandments. His commandments are not grievous unto us. In other words, religion is not a burden. A lot of people, when you say you keep the Sabbath, oh, that's bad keeping the Sabbath. Well, it's not just as hard for you keeping Sunday as it is be keeping Saturday. A day is a day. It's just that anything is unbearable. I remember my... I don't want to get in no trouble here, but in the church I was in, they used to say, oh, but that awful law, and talking about the law. Well, that law you're talking about, we're not under the law. That, that, that law was hostile. Well, Paul said the law is righteous and the law is just and that the law is perfect. We're describing the righteousness of God when we talk about the law. The law shall not be done away with. And that's a great segue into witnessing is that that same law that you're talking about, what Jesus do in that covenant and that light unto the Gentiles, he writes it upon our hearts. He writes this law upon our hearts. Do you think it's a different law that he's writing on our hearts? He says, no new commandment I give unto thee. So that's the law he's writing upon our hearts. And the Gentiles seem to be having been exercising more faith than Israel has. But uh, a slave, we're looking at the word slave in a certain uh, term, and not some, some stigma is attached to slavery or whatever, but do you know the majority of Roman citizens were slaves? The majority of Roman citizens were slaves. They had a, over a million people at the time of this New Testament writing in the Roman providence in over 50% were slaves. There was no stigma that was attached to that because doctors and lawyers were slaves during that time. It didn't know a class distinction. But we, huh? But we've attached a stigma because you're talking about indentured slavery when they went and took people and brought them into slavery and placed them into slavery. It wasn't voluntary slavery like the Bible talked about voluntary slavery. That's why when he talks about prison, he's talking about people that are in darkness. That's why the preachers get it wrong when he said he wouldn't preach to the spirits that was in prison. If you look at the Bible, it knows of no prisons and jails in the Old Testament to God's people. God's people, if they became poor or owed someone, notice that they became slaves. That's where the year of Jubilee and thing came in. But it wasn't slavery as we know it. It wasn't slavery as here in the United States of America. And people going around, men with their ears pierced and everything, all this ear piercing, that's nothing new. If a person was a slave in those days and they had paid for their time and everything and they were to go free, if that person didn't want to go free or he had a wife and everything, he 
had with his master and he was to go out into the world with him. He said, well, no, I like working for my master and he's treating me right. You know, you have all the amenities and everything because, like I said, slavery wasn't what we see today, what man has made slavery to. But that's what God had his people under. And God said if he decided to stay with his master or whatever, the master is to take him and take an awl, which is like an ice pick. You take that awl and you take him to the doorpost and you bore a hole in his ear and put an earring in his ear. So that's why in the Roman providences and in the time of the biblical times or whatever, men with earrings was a sign of slavery, but it was volunteered that they decided to stay with their master. That earring decided that they were slaves. That's why when they say pull off your earrings and your nose rings and things in the book of Isaiah, those were signs of people. A lot of those people were in slavery or other things was going. But there's nothing new under the sun. It's just that we've changed it, put a new label on these things. So, please get a different idea of slavery. Start reading and studying or whatever and watch some of the Discovery Channels or some program, an educational program and get rid of Grand Theft Auto and all those things. Uh, The elements of motivation. Uh, Like I said, there's a responsibility and an obligation once Jesus saves us And once he saves us, it's me laboring and looking just like the man that had owed so many talents and his Lord had forgiven him the talents because the debt was so great he couldn't pay back as much as he borrowed. Then he went and caught somebody else who owed him much less and he tried to hurt them. Well, what Jesus relieved me of, the bondage that he relieved me of, of sin, of the situation I was in, it's no way I could pay him back. I owe him my very life. He died for me. So I'm his bondservant. That's why Paul called himself a bondservant of Jesus Christ. If you look at it, James and Judas, they called themselves, look at the opening of it, they didn't say we're the Lord's brother. They said that we're servants of, of Jesus Christ. They were servants. You, we have to develop that servant mentality to be a good servant of Jesus Christ. Without that attitude and disposition of the humbleness of a servant, we'll miss it. We have been specifically chosen, not by chance, but he had chosen us, and here's our obligation set boldly and clearly before us. It's from John 15 and 16. He says, and this throws off all of those our walkers and those evangelists, says, just accept Christ and just give yourself to him. Just accept Jesus. Let's read the scripture and see what Jesus says. John 15 and 16. He says, you did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should remain that whatsoever you ask the Father in my name, that he shall give to you. You didn't choose Christ. Christ chose us from the foundations of the world. Stop letting the evangelists say, well, if you would just accept Christ or let him in. No, he chooses us. And he chose us for a reason in that we should bear fruit. 
Now, if we're not bearing any fruit, we're that unprofitable servant I was telling you about yesterday that he gave that one talent. We didn't do anything with that talent. We didn't tell Jesus, nobody about Jesus. We didn't try to be fruitful in anything. We weren't consistent like Anna and Simeon that was consistently at the temple praying and having prayers for the saints. Well, if you can't work or you can't go out and witness or you can't do anything for the Lord, at least you can stay home and pray for God. Pray for the people of God. You can pray for the pastors. He says pray for one another. So that's what a lot of people are giving. That's the most powerful weapon in church is the prayers of the saints. Because you have to have clean hands for the Lord to hear you. He heareth not the sentence of the, the prayers of sinners. So you could be in a see because you have a job to do. God, Christ had chosen you for a job. He didn't say Adam just sit here in the garden. He gave Adam a job to do. Adam had a job tending to God. We've been specifically appointed and ordained and placed in this unique relationship that we may produce the right things in life. Our life has to be bringing forth the right fruit. And if it's not bringing forth the right fruit, he's going to hew the tree down at the root of the tree. It's going to be like that fig tree he, he cursed that it looked it like it should have things on it. A lot of us look and act like Christians, but we are far from Christians. And our, at first, our obligation rests upon the fact that Jesus, giving himself as the price of our spiritual redemption from slavery and death. So he laid down his life. He gave his life to redeem us and to buy us back from bondage and slavery unto the devil. There. No condemnation to those in Christ Jesus. He had justified us, placed us in right standing with God, and reconciled us back unto God. But don't be like those Christians that say they just go lay around heaven all day. Or that guy in the Psalms ain't gonna wander around heaven all day and just you know walk around there. It's it's not idleness. Do, don't he talks about the slow for servant? He talks against the slow for. You know what slothfulness is? Maybe I'll, I'll let my wife tell y'all about the sloth. That sloth, he, if something's after him, if he's on the ground, most of the time he live in the tree. But if he's on the ground, he might can move six feet in an hour, half an hour. Six feet, it takes him an hour or so to move six feet. He's very slow. And that's what slothfulness comes from, a sloth, laziness. He says, uh, if we have any sense at all, any discernment of what he has rescued us from and what he has given us the opportunity to possess, our sense of gratitude should explode in zeal and motivation that like someone's been free from jail had been pardoned and released. You should fly like a bird. You know that the song, When I Laid My Burden Down, he cast all those burdens and cares up on him. You could have been dead, laying in the grave. And he, he had given us eternal life. So now I, I consistently labor because it says you have eternal life. 
He's given me something that I can't lose throughout eternity. So I'm obligated. I'm going to serve him. If is A lot of people say about the rewards and everything, that's good. That's icing on the cake. But the idea, how many people would just love eternal life? But now, look at the added benefits now. How about if you're just living but you're laying on the back, you bedridden all your life? No. He says, I'll give you abundant life. In other words, there's no not going to be any crippled bodies or painful bodies or sores. When he redeems the body, that's why we die to self. It's going to be a body that's a spiritual body. It's not going to hurt anymore. It's not going to pain anymore. It's not going to have sorrow anymore. It's not going to have any of the corruptions that this old mortal body has. He's going to raise us immortal, incorruptible. It's no more corruption. It's no more deterioration. My hips won't have, be a, you won't have a degenerative hip. You won't have arthritis. You'll be like the children in the wilderness. He says, your feet didn't swell. None that your clothes wax old. None of these diseases I put up on you you know, if there's no colds in society, there's no no communicable diseases, none of the plagues that he had put upon the Egyptians, this is the kingdom of God. That's why we pray that his kingdom come. That's why I say we can serve a God like that. That's what we look to. Serving that God. Serving that God. Now our sense of obligation is further built and strengthened by the knowledge that we've been specifically summoned and appointed and to share in an intimate, loving family relationship and friendship that he sustains through his office as high priest. In other words, you could be in a family where people that love you truly love you. You know, a lot of times you have even family members that say they love you, but they'll put a knife in your back. They'll talk about you behind your back. But part of, of being a servant of God as an obligation and responsibility, there's no more backstabbing. There. In other words, no gossiping, no tailbearing, no lying in that we look out for one another more than we look out for ourselves. That's part of our obligation. That's the fruit that we should be bearing that is no more bitterness in us because Bitterness is sin, resentfulness, jealousy, and envy, and all those are works of the flesh. And that's what he's purging out of us as servants of God. If we're walking by faith, ever increasing faith, you, you increase in humility and then in humbleness as a servant of God. And then that's what causes us to be fruitful in every area. That's the obligation and the responsibility that we give to him, that he's changing our vile bodies, that this conversion process that we're going through, that the old man is dying out. There's a new nature coming with a new mind being transformed into the likeness in the image of who he is. Now, we have any sense of gratitude for his work in intervening, leading, and guiding, and correcting and perfecting our character so that we produce so much fruit and love one another, our sense of obligation will be further stirred to ensure that we do not let him down in any area. Is it that person, have you ever said, 
I need to get this done because I don't want to let them down. Have you ever had somebody, you know, a spouse or a your children or whatever. I don't want to let this person down. You know, you, you you don't want to lower the expectation of what they, the hope that they have in you or somebody's been giving you another chance or whatever. And I say, well, you won't be disappointed in me this time if you give me this second chance. Well, he's given us a new release on life. He's going to guide me. So I don't want to re- be rebellious. I want to be submissive to your will and your way because I know you know you want the best for me. So whatever you're saying, no matter how it hurts, no matter what the word says, your word is for the correcting and the perfecting of the saints. So I must do that because we know pruning hurts. Pruning hurts and discipline hurts. No chastisement is pleasant. None of this, but he scourges each son that he receives. And when I say sons, I'm talking about male and female. I'm talking in a generic sense. We always strive to glorify him because that's our master. The master's going to make it right. We look to the master in all things, not to everybody else, not to the rest of the slaves. We look to the master for this relief because the master knows all. The master sees all. The master is able to make everything right. This motivation of fact is largely dependent upon us. Feeling but not the sickening sweet sentimentality as some of the world's Christianity do. Boy, it just makes me puke almost. You know, I just want to, some shows I can't see, some Christians I can't. So I got relatives that I love you. Okay, you said it last month sometime. You don't have to keep telling me that, you, you know, as a guy or whatever. Quit telling me this. A lot of times people come up to you, how is this and that? Okay, please, let's just have a normal conversation. A lot of the television shows, I don't want to get in trouble with my wife or whatever, but she likes to watch a lot of these things on Hallmark Channel or whatever. That's, you know, men really don't watch the Hallmark Channel that much, you know. I, well, and now I'm going to have some problems about some guys that watch that kind of stuff or whatever. But it's just too... And that's the problem. I, I'm almost. I'm about four pages away from that page, book on that uh, article that I'm bringing about the pathetic men. Men has become too pathetic and effeminate, and that's what the book of Romans talking about. Effeminate men. Don't you think? Who think men have gotten too soft in the ne- in the world today? But the thing about it, you have those in the Republican Party or something. Who knows what's the worst thing is a soft guy, a guy that's counterfeiting like they're hard or whatever and try to be hard or whatever, but behind the doors, of, this ain't worth what they really are. They're trying to be something they aren't. That's what Paul was talking about, about leading the church. If he ain't in charge at home, don't come to the church trying to be in charge. Don't get before the other people and trying to be in charge. If you have these fears and things in you, the world's going to test you. Things going to test you whether to be sure. That's why you have these qualifications. But I'm headed down a rabbit trail here. This feeling is derived from a clear understanding of what has been done and continues to be done in our behalf. So we know Christ 
as a strong man and as a a man that would sit down and as I told you Moses listened at the women a leader does that that's through meekness and humility that he has that ability but we have to have uh, this new man that changes us that know in their heart of hearts that they are guilty of rebellion against this wonderful Jesus Christ. Everything I do that's within me that is that evilness that I'm capable of rebellion and I have been rebellious against a, a sovereign, a loving God and that my whole nature, my whole life has been Opposite God, there's none that do it good, no, not one. It's this conversion which starts to show me the right path and that which is good. And that man is rebellious by nature. That's who he is, the bondage of man. And that's why I said about the apostasy of the church and the things that's going on because the worst thing is a hypocrite. The worst thing is a person that says these things but does another or lives a different way. That's the worst thing. And, and it's better to be out there in a sinner. And I think that's some of what he's talking about here. These people will be converted. But it's the ones that's in the church that are saying these and know this. That's who he's writing this to. That's the service that he's writing this to. That's the judgment that's going to come that knows better than this. That, that should be able to rule. Like Ahab. Ahab knew better than what he was doing, but Jezebel led him the wrong way. You see, and that's the problem we have in this nation and with the people, that it's a hypocritical Christianity. It's a false Christianity. And I told you, it's anti-Christ. It's anti-God. Romans 6 and 4. Choose you. You remember I told you you had a choice each day, all the time. See, sometimes it might be your spouse that you have to turn against. Sometimes it may be your children. Sometimes Satan uses those closest to you. That's what you have to overcome first. That's why piety, uh, they say love or charity, everything should begin at home. You know, whatever you are, if you're not that at home, don't try to come out side and portray that. A lot of women get the children in, in the stores and things, the children crying. Ain't no use hollering at that child and threatening him and going on. You just want to go on and bribe him and buy him something going on because that's what you're doing at home or whatever. Because if, if, if at home if he was tightening him up and not sparing the rock, you could just look at him and he would hush. You could just look at him and he would hush. You wouldn't have to keep telling him. That's what the old people say. I'm not going to tell you again. My mother would be across the church, across the church. She was usher. If she looked over there, I would, you know, we were dead, you know. The, you know, we wouldn't do nothing the rest of the time because we know, man, the only thing we could do is hopefully she'll have mercy on us when we get home, you know, because mother didn't play that, you know. So we knew. But nowadays, women have to repeat, oh, I'll buy you this if you just hush you. And churn screaming and hollering and running crazy. People say, I don't know how you raised two of all these two or three kids. Two or three kids? Women used to have six, seven. My wife had five kids or whatever. Huh? Are we the same women we used to be? 
you have a station wagon or something, you know, load of kids or whatever. But now one or two kids got them pulling the air out. Yeah. We got we got issues here. You know, children getting stuff and drinking this and doing that. But the old people say, don't fool with that. You wouldn't fool with it. They could sit there coughing. They could sit stuff down or whatever. But nowadays, that's why I say the new man, you have to have that firmness in you so it's not being docile or naive or whatever. That's not what Christianity is. That's not who we are. It's really growing a backbone. We have therefore been buried with him through baptism into death so that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory and power of the Father, we too might walk habitually in the newness of life, abandoning all of the old ways. Notice that, walk habitually in this new way. Uh, The living version says, Our old sin-loving nature was buried with him by baptism when we died. And when God the Father with glorious power brought him back to life again, you were given his wonderful new life to enjoy. So now we are a new creation in Christ Jesus. We've been resurrected to a new life. And we're dead to self and we should die daily. All of those always, all of those... Let me do this the Bible way. Let me follow his instruction, his guidance, and his leadership. And by faith, we will have this done. The Apostle Paul informs us in the book of Romans that when we were submerged in the waters of baptism, our old man was crucified and be done away with that we should no longer be slaves of sin. So now sin no longer owns us. And that's what we are talking about marriage when Christ died on the cross what he also did that gave Judah a chance to be married to Christ that's the new light the light that was given to Gentiles that covenant that old covenant is no longer binding there because the husband is dead in other words Israel's husband Judah's husband is dead Israel he gave a bill of divorcement now he's free to marry, have a Gentile bride, plus the Israelites. So it's no longer Jew or Gentile. Christ is Savior of all, or he's Savior of none. If he's not your Savior, you have no Savior. He's the only Savior. So, once this occurred, just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we should walk in the newness of life. We should walk as he walked. And that's why he says, walk therein. It is finished. All you have to do is walk therein. Whatever is stopping you from walking therein, that's what you have to move out of the way. That's the stumbling block. That's the mountain you have to speak to. Whatever it is that's stopping you from walking with Christ, it has to go. It's an idol. It becomes an idol of graven image. Every Christian then is a new man no longer living the old life and sin and this slavish obedience to your human nature. So whatever portion of that human nature have you in bondage, enjoy the liberty that's in Jesus Christ because since you have a new master, you you don't have to obey that old master. It says mortify the deeds of the flesh. In other words, Put those to death because now you have a new servant. I mean a new master. That's who you have to please. 
you want to be pleasing unto him. Paul says later in chap in the chapter that having been set free from sin, we became slaves of righteousness. That's what I said yesterday. Slaves of righteousness. In other words, I'm in bondage to Christ now. I can't do with my body what I want to do. My body no longer belongs to me. I can't sit there and look at anything because that's a portal. The lust of the eyes or the lust of the flesh. He said he would look it after a woman the lust after had sinned. Well, if sin has no dominion over me, I should run away or do like Joseph, turn or look away. Because a new man is a new creation, according to 2 Corinthians 5 and 17, he is to be renewed in, in mind, so that same mind that's in Christ Jesus should be in us. Romans 12 and 2 says, present our body as a living sacrifice unto God. So, Romans, it says, I beseech you, in other words, because of the things he said in the prior six chapters, he says, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service, and be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind, that ye may prove that what is good and acceptable and perfect will of God. So that's what we have to do. That's what the new creation, that's what being in bondage to righteousness. And remember throughout that 42nd chapter, we are establishing the righteousness by faith. His righteousness by faith will help establish the laws of God. Also, Ephesians 4.23, Colossians 3.10 and by the conduct, Titus 3, 5, and 8, Ephesians 4, 22, Colossians 3, 10, and 12. We have to ring out the old and ring in the new. The new man begins his walk toward perfections, Hebrews 6 and 1, laying aside the doctrines of baptisms and laying on of hands. Let us go on to perfection in Christ Jesus. We have to be perfect. He want to present us a chaste bride. He want us to overcome. He says, be ye perfect as my heavenly Father is perfect. Okay. Romans 6, 16. And we have time for that, looks like. Romans 6, 16 through 19. Don't you realize that you can choose your own master? You can choose sin, which is death, or else choose acquittal. You've been acquitted if you choose Jesus Christ. So choose life. You remember in the Old Testament, he said before, he said, I've set before you life and death. Choose life. The one to whom you offer yourself, he will take you and be your master. And you will be his slave. Thank God that though you once chose to be slaves of sin, now you obeyed with all your heart the teachings to which God has committed you. And now you are free from your old master, sin, and you have become slaves to your new master, righteousness. That's who is your master, the righteousness that's in Christ Jesus. You're a slave of righteousness under Christ Jesus. Uh, The living says, I speak this way using the illustration of slaves and masters because it is easy to understand. Just as you used to be slaves to all kinds of sin, 
So now you must let yourself be slaves to all that is right and holy and be obedient to all those because that's what Christ was. He was obedient unto death. He never disobeyed God, not once. Adam was disobedient and did what God told him not to do. We're seeing here as the servant of the one who we obey, the one we are under its authority. So what I say, if sin had... You give power to that which you worship or that which you yield yourself unto. You've given it power and authority over you. If a man is the source of the morality we submit to, then the man is our sovereign. And that's what the article that I'm bringing is about. It's from the Atlantic Journal about the pathetic men that all of these men doing this last administration have given loyalty to Donald Trump, then that's their sovereign. That's who their master. That that's who rules over. His standard is what they go by, and it's a, it's a, it's idolatry. What it is, and it's leaving God behind, and it's choosing that which is man. As long as this sovereign agrees with God's standards, then idolatry is no problem. Now, you remember Paul, so we won't get too thrown off on that. Remember, Paul says, follow me as I follow Christ. So if a man's setting a pattern by following Christ, that's why you have preachers and teachers as they following Christ, as with your parents, as with anybody, as a, a husband and wife. When it says, submit ye to one another, that's in righteousness what is right. But you know, a husband, a wife, doesn't have to submit to her husband if what the husband is asking her is ungodly? Do, do you know that children don't submit to their parents if the parents are ungodly? That's why it says a man when he marries he goes and leaves his parents. He has his own because he becomes the head then of that household because Christ is his head and he have to follow Christ. But if he was in that home and you have a two or three families in that home, one's following Christ and they're going to different churches or whatever, don't some Christians you wonder about the churches they attend, you wonder about their holiness or whatever. You say you go to church but you live this way. But I don't think our church lives that way. So whose church or whose thing rule? You will have confusion. So you need to have your family because if Christ is not the head of that man, the house is going to be a, a problem. That's going to be a problem there. So if we broaden this to include the state, whether democratic or socialist, then the state is the sovereign. And that's what I, I was telling you about a state. Christianity, national Christianity or whatever. That's what happened to Romanism and with the Roman Catholic Church when the civil authority intervened then. Well then, if we had a national Christianity, well then the state is the sovereign and not God. See, because the state could be wrong, just like right now. A lot of people that's not here don't see the problems within this nation. So if we have the same national Christianity with all of the different evangelists here, none of them are in agreement with one another. And it's not a true Christianity. That's why 
the sovereignty has to be to God and nothing else. But in broadening this scope, the chances that idolatry will enter the equation increases. So our allegiance is to God and man shall worship God and him alone. No one else gets in between you and God. This we have time for one more. It takes a church. Uh, in Galatians fifth chapter thirteen through the fifteenth verse, Paul says, "For brethren, you have been called unto liberty. Only use not liberty for an occasion to the flesh, but love and serve one another. For all the law is fulfilled in one word. Even in this, thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself." But if you bite and devour one another, take heed that you be not consumed of another. Okay, this is part of servanthood. I'm going after this we'll go into humble servanthood, but we're not gonna have that much time. The day we'll finish it Wednesday. But this is what God's command. See, in the New Testament, it shows what we should be. The Old Testament is our example of how Israel did with one another. So in reading these epistles, the epistles is to save people, but this spirit should be in us. This is what Paul, remember the Galatians was the church, he says, who had bewitched you? Because the gospel that they were receiving, the preaching and the spirit that they were receiving was not the faith that was once delivered unto the saints. It was another gospel. Uh, the Amplified Version reads, For you, my brothers, were called to freedom. Only do not let your freedom become an opportunity for the sinful nature. In other words, worldliness and selfishness. But through love, serve and seek the best for one another. For the whole law that is concerning human relationship is fulfilled in one precept. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. That is, you shall have an unselfish concern for others and do things for others' benefit. I know it's in the scripture about uh, casting a stumbling block before the lame or anybody or whatever. But is that an ordinance of man and of government if in this apartment complex over here they say no parking or blocking the sidewalk? You couldn't be a Christian and obey the ordinances of man and you blocking that sidewalk, right? You park your cop on that sidewalk and blocking that sidewalk. Okay, now you're breaking God, I mean man's ordinances, right? Okay, but the greater authority there, some man or somebody was wise enough to say if they block that sidewalk, what happens if somebody needs to get by that sidewalk there in a wheelchair. Now you've did cross God because God says, don't lay a stumbling block or block the path of someone that's needing a handicap, in other words. That's Old Testament about laying stumbling blocks before others, especially the lame or those that are out of the way. So God looks out for widows and those that are oppressed and those that are in poverty. But now you broke two laws. And so now in Galatians, if you go to church, they said, submitting oneself unto oneself and putting others before others. So wouldn't you say, let me not do this 
and put someone else out, even obeying parking places. Have you ever pulled into a parking spot or whatever and hear somebody parked across took that white line, in other words, they parked right in the center so you can't get in. They've taken up two parking spaces, in other words. You see where obedience and this, so are we considering the other, so that other driver can't get in, so we wouldn't be thoughtful of the next person. So everything we have to do, you have to be thinking about your neighbors, you have to be thinking about one another. Let me not do this because it's going to cause somebody else a problem. It's going to convenience me to park my car here and run in the store, but this is a fire zone. Suppose something happens and a fire truck come in and, and I'm blocking this fire zone. See, we should have this mind, Christ wouldn't do these things. So we should be like Christ. We wouldn't be going around being offensive to one another. It says, but if you bite and devour one another, in other words, in bickering and strife, watch out that you along with the entire fellowship are not consumed. Uh, So if we are self-serving and destructive, we will end up tearing each other apart. But if we serve one another in love, we will build up the church. After he redeemed us, God gave us great freedom of mind, action and choice but a lot of us are using that liberty as a cloak of unrighteousness a cloak to do evil a cloak to do that which is not of God he says beware of that he has freed us from the curse of the law and that is the death penalty and he has freed us from the fear of death from enslavement and so on then he says once we are freed we, you, we need to use that freedom to serve God. If God then loosed us, we need to start making sure justice is served, that justice comes in the whole earth. We need to work toward that. Now, there's different ways, and I'm going to talk about that because it's opened up in a bigger picture when we talk about slavery because, I, like I say, we have the wrong concept of slavery and he didn't put the apostles here to interrupt cultural differences and that's going to take longer than we have for me to explain that but we will pick up right there when we come back uh, Wednesday he says uh, this is where the idea of being a slave a picture or a slave of righteousness enters the picture I'm going to finish this last page so I could give her this page. He severed our relationship from our former master, that is, sin, Satan, and the world, and freed us, and then took us into slavery to himself, to serving our brethren in righteousness. You remember washing one another's feet. In other words, doing for one another. Now, we're free from that master, sin, Satan in the world, the things of the world, the iniquity of the world. But now we're a slave of Jesus Christ. We're a slave of righteousness. We're a bondservant of Jesus Christ because our whole character and conduct has changed. And we have to keep putting to death that old man of who we were and become a new individual in Christ Jesus. Becomes like him in his image and his likeness. So now we're tethered to him. We're tied to Christ.
You understand? That's why our life is. That's where the life we have now is in Christ Jesus. 